What's up, everyone? This is Joe, and welcome to the Jesus Talks podcast. It is not an accident that you are here listening to this podcast, and I am thankful that you are here. Jesus loves you, and he has so much for you. My prayer throughout this whole podcast is that you can come to know him more in intimacy, you can learn about him, you can grow alongside me, and you can just fall deeper and deeper in love with the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. I love you, I care for you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace out. Hello, hello, hello. What's going on? I was about to say welcome back. I I guess I can say welcome back. Welcome back to the Jesus Talks podcast. My name is Joe. I'm your host. And it's another standalone episode this week. I won't take up too much of your time, just about 30 minutes, maybe a little bit under that. We're going to talk about a topic that was requested. And the topic is just leadership. Now, as we dive into this, you'll see that I kind of separated because leadership can fall into a lot of different categories. But this is just, we'll call this a leadership talk. It's just a leadership talk. We're going to talk about all facets of leadership inside of Christianity and being a follower of Jesus. Before we do, um, if you didn't see or listen to last week's episode, God is our home. We really dove into what it looks like for us to treat God as if he is more than just a father, but as if he is our sole purpose, our sole home. Apart from him, we are nothing. So really just diving into that kind of theology. And it was really fun. It was a good time to go listen to that, Spotify or Anchor or Google Podcast or Apple Music, whatever you listen to, it's on there. Go check it out. And then also, as far as updates go, I've been getting a lot of questions about this as well. Um, When it comes to podcast requests, like if you want me to come onto your podcast or write for your blog or join you as a guest on your podcast, I can do that. My space is kind of weirdly limited right now, but if you guys want to do that, you can email me at joe d j-o-e d at lakepoint.church joe d at lakepoint.church and you guys can hit me up i would love to come on your podcast if i have time i'd love to write for you if i have time and then when it comes to preaching and speaking at events youth groups whatever that is i'll need a pastor or youth pastor to reach out i'm almost booked for those i have four or five and it's hard for me with a full-time job to travel a lot but I have space for like one or two more on very specific dates. So heck yeah, I think that's everything. Life is good. I'm ready to dive into the word per usual, but I want to pray for us before we do. So let's bow our heads to your God. Thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that it's fruitful and honoring to you. I pray that every word spoken is glorifying and edifying and that we just leave this time with you different than we came with just more reverence and a better understanding of your will for us and your love for us as well. Pray that in your name. Amen. 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 Big amen. Let me get my Bible. Why didn't I don't know why I didn't have that out. Um, but yeah, so leadership, right? Leadership. Leadership is something interesting. And I think that there is a biblical definition to leadership. And then there is a worldly definition that we've placed upon leadership. And they're two very separate things. I'll try to toe that line as best as I can. But I kind of just wanted to open with this question and I think this is like the question we are trying to answer with this podcast episode is what does it look like to lead other people biblically what does it look like for me as a leader whether it be in a church or somewhere else or another setting how do I lead somebody from a biblical 
theological, like Jesus, Christ-like standpoint. And I've divided leadership into three different facets. The first facet is discipleship and mentorship. That kind of leadership where it's not a staff paid position. It's not a romantic relationship. It's if I'm discipling or mentoring somebody of the same age or younger than me and I'm leading someone by my character, that is one facet of leading. The second facet of leading um, so the first one being discipleship and mentorship. Second one is vocational or pastoral. So if you are a leader by trade, if you are a paid pastor, a paid volunteer, uh, you lead a group at church or you are being paid to minister, whatever it looks like, a vocational job where you are leading other people. It doesn't even have to be in ministry at all, but a vocational job where you're leading people. And the third facet of leadership is romantic or relational leadership as that would be like leading someone in a relationship. If you're a guy leading a woman in a Christ-like relationship or if a friendship, how do I lead my friends in my friend group? So we have a relational one, we have a discipleship one, and then we have a vocational one. And I'm gonna talk about each of those, but I'm gonna start by talking about the first one, discipleship and mentorship. And the way that I'm splitting this up is I have about five or six bullet points of just things like I would say key tips for you guys to write down. And then I'm gonna dive into each of them as well biblically. So my first key tip when it comes to leading in a discipleship or mentorship standpoint, and this one also can pour into the other ones. A lot of them can pour into each other. This is the one I want for this one first is to be a hero maker. A lot of us, when we are leading, we see leadership as a way of saying, hey, I am higher up. I am in charge. You are below me. You listen to me. You respond to me like you want full control. You want to be the one that is seen. You want to be the one that is leading. You want to be the one that's in charge. And Yes, a lot of times when you're leading in a mentorship, discipleship standpoint, you are the one that is more spiritually mature, you're the one that is more wise, but your job is to be a hero maker. And what that means is saying, hey, I'm leading these people for the purpose of saying, I wanna make them heroes. I wanna equip them and put them in a position to where they can be successful, for where they can be recognized, they can be acknowledged. You're basically multiplying yourself. So instead of saying, hey, let me find a way to give myself all the glory, let me create four or five or six more me's with their own gifting and talents and let them excel. I had a youth pastor at Elevation. His, his whole thing with me when he was mentoring me was he was like, I want you to end up being a better pastor, better speaker, a better whatever it was than me. He was saying, my job as your leader is to make you more successful than myself. That's called being a hero maker. You're not the hero, but you're out here creating and making heroes. That is the best way to disciple and mentor somebody. Me and my job now, where I'm getting to meet with all these high schoolers and middle schoolers, is like, what can I do in your life? Where can I be in your life to where I can help you be successful? How can I help you reach whatever goal you want to reach? How can I make you a hero, make you great? Whatever it takes. It's not about me. It's about you. The second thing I want to say, and this one is more of a, a tip when it comes to mentoring and discipling people and leading people that are younger than you or that are younger in their faith than you, is to share scars, not wounds. What I mean by this is when you are sharing a scar you think about a scar a scar is something that was once a wound but it's been healed sealed up it's good so to share a scar is to share something about you or from your past or from your faith that once was an issue but now is a scar like it's good now it's been healed it's been repented of you're past it so when you're sharing scars you're saying hey this is where i was once this is where i am now when you're sharing wounds you're saying hey this is where i am i was once but i'm still here right now so you're not sharing something that's been overcome you're sharing something that's still an open wound and for you, that's not the right thing to do because that's going to put you in a place of where your leadership is not trustworthy because who wants a pastor to get up on stage and be like hey don't commit adultery when they're in an adulterous marriage right then, right? 
So you, that's sharing a wound. That's sharing something you're still struggling with. You don't want to hear relationship advice from someone who's living in a failed relationship. You don't want to hear uh, counseling from someone who is deep in depression. It, it's things like this. So you're sharing scars, not wounds. It doesn't mean that if you have wounds, you can't share. It means if you have wounds, you need to be focused more on your wound than on sharing others how to not have the same wound because you yourself haven't gotten out of that yet. So share, share scars, not wounds. Be a hero maker. Those are the first two. Number three, let them lead and let them labor. The worst thing you can do as a leader is to do the extreme of either of these. If you bring someone in, you're discipling them and mentoring them, and all you do is let them lead. Give them all the leadership opportunities. Let them do everything. Let them be out in front of people. Let them be the hero all the time. With no labor, no service, no humbling, they're going to get very prideful. They're not going to know what it looks like to the full scope of ministry looks like. Because what it comes down to is as ministers and as pastors and as leaders, the fun part of what we do is about half and half with the serving, with the cleaning up, the picking up chairs, the picking up trash. So again, I, what a youth pastor did with me back in the day was like, hey, I know that your goal is to lead, is to pastor people, is, is to be out here speaking and teaching and preaching, but I want you to know that you have to labor all the same. So just as much as I was getting a chance to lead groups, I would also be carrying a podium out and then that's it. I would also be chat hosting till like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. So when you are leading someone, you're discipling someone, you're saying, hey, I want to let you lead, but I also want to let you labor. I want to teach you that one of the biggest ways of leading people, one of the best ways to pastor someone is to also like labor, is to serve. Like I'm at a church right now where I have pastors that, yeah, they're up on stage pastoring, but they'll also be walking around the campus picking up trash. They're never too high or too royal or too mighty to serve and to labor. So let the people that you're discipling and mentoring them, build them into a spirit of leadership and a spirit of labor. Number four, help people discover gifting. When you are discipling and mentoring someone and you are leading them in that aspect, one of the best things you can do is saying, hey, let's help you discover what your gifts are. Let me put you in situations where you can shine. Let's see what you're good at. Let's see what you're not good at. Let's see what I can help you steward that's gonna impact the kingdom. So when it comes to gifting, it's like, okay, what are you good at? What are you not good at? Let's walk through these things together. If there's something you're super passionate about and, you're super, and you love to do, let's put you in opportunities to shine in that and let's grow that. Let's biblically look at it and see what can I, what can I do to equip you in a better way? How can I help you discover what you are gifted in and how can I push you to use that gifting for the glory of the Lord? So you're wanting to help them discover what their gifts are. Don't push your gifts onto them and don't keep them away from doing things that they really could shine in. That's part of being the hero maker. Help them discover gifting. Number five, you want to point them to Jesus, not to you. At the end of the day, you are leading them, yes. But the Lord is the one that should be receiving all the glory. You don't want to become anybody's Jesus. You don't want to become anybody's hero more than God is. The same way, like, you never want a pastor to get up on stage and all the people to be more mesmerized by the pastor than they are by the spirit working inside of them or by the Lord who saved them. So while you are giving them good leadership and they'll probably look up to you, they'll probably call you a mentor, they'll probably love you to death, your end goal is saying, how can I point you to Jesus? How can I show you that Jesus is the one that is receiving of all the glory? Like when you're saved, when you're baptized, when you have these great spiritual moments, don't come to me and thank me. Like get them in a position of, I'm gonna thank the Lord. You're just a part of the process. And then the last guy, lastly, um, it's kind of a summary of all of them. Ask yourself, how can I empower this person? What can I do to charge and excite and encourage and exhort this person to do great things for the kingdom. What can I do? What can I give to you? How can I empower you? How can I make you better? How can I love you better? It's all about how can I encourage them, love on them, be there for them, help them grow in their faith, hold them accountable, whatever it looks like, invest and empower. 
I like to think of like John 1. John, like John 1, when we're looking at John 1, it's the Apostle John is talking about John the Baptist. I know it's kind of confusing. And we see John the Baptist's purpose in being sent like to the world in the first place. Verse six, there was a man sent from God. So we see John the Baptist was sent from God and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That's our jobs, right? The light is Jesus. We are not coming to be the light. We are not coming to be Jesus. We are coming to testify and witness to the light to other people. So as a leader, you're saying, hey, John was sent by God to bear witness to the light so that others might believe through him. However, he himself would never claim to be the light. We are never claiming to be the light. We are never trying to be that. We're not trying to get in the way of the gospel. We are trying to push others towards it, witness to it. That's what your job is. looks like as a leader. Or we look in 1 Corinthians like 1. I'll, I'll flip over to that. 1 Corinthians 1, like 13 uh, through 17-ish. We're looking at Paul. I know I have a loud Bible. We're looking at Paul and... Paul is basically just breaking it down to the Corinthians because a lot of what's happening right now is a lot of the Corinthians think that Paul is Jesus. A lot of the Corinthians think that Apollos and Cephas is Jesus. A lot of them follow Christ. Everything's divided in the church. No one knows who the, who the Lord is. And Paul was sent to proclaim the gospel and, and he's sent to call for repentance among the people. And yes, he has knowledge. Yes, he's a great evangelist. But he's saying, hey, like, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So he's saying right there, like, hey, I was sent with a purpose and with a gifting, but I'm not Christ. I wasn't sent to do what Christ does. I was solely sent to encourage and empower and testify the same way John the Baptist was. And he consistently maintains the knowledge that he himself is not Christ and he can never be. His role is to preach. The Spirit's role is to persuade and to convict. And this is our same job coming along as, as disciples and as mentors and as leaders of people younger than us spiritually and physically is to say, hey, I am coming to preach the gospel to you. I'm coming to equip you, to witness to you, but I'm pointing you to the Lord. I'm showing you who the Lord is and I'm making the distinction between the Lord and myself. It also makes me think about like Hosea and Joel and Amos and... Daniel, all these guys that were incredibly anointed and were hearing from the Lord, but they were so quick to make sure that we were fully aware that they and themselves were not the Lord. They were just coming with a specific gifting and a specific calling. And all these, like all these men preached straight from the mouth of God, but they were preaching with repentance and faith in him, never with any kind of agenda whatsoever. Last week, we could look at Luke 5. And in Luke 5, it's like when Jesus is working with, with, the, with the paralyzed man when he's lowered down in front of them. And if you think about that whole story, it's like we have these unnamed men, these men who are never known, who are never named, these random guys, and, and they found the paralytic and they, they brought him to Jesus. We never know their names. We never know why or they did what they did or who they are. They simply were just there to move someone to Jesus. I think that's the perfect example of what we're doing as disciples and as mentors. It's saying, hey, you don't have to know my name. No one needs to know what I'm doing. No one needs to pat me on the back for what I'm doing. I'm just trying to take someone who needs Jesus to Jesus and let Jesus do all the work. Let him get all of the glory. So when it comes to discipleship and mentorship, I want to sum it up with this. Um, it revolves around three things. Number one, humility. Number two, consistency. And number three, honesty. Obviously, the humility comes from a place of saying, hey, I'm not Jesus you need to be humble. You need to be a hero maker. Number two, consistency, be consistent in their life. Continue to be in their life. Continue to show up, to talk to them, to speak to them, to love on them. And honesty is so important. When people are growing in their faith, you know, they can get prideful. 
They can do things that are wrong. You need to be able to be in a most in a loving enough place to where you can call them out. You can lovingly correct them. We'll get more into that later in the second and third uh, facets. But humility, consistency, and honesty will rule when it comes to discipleship and mentorship. And you just need to remember that you need to be okay being the unnamed man. You need to be okay being the Paul. You need to be okay being the Daniel. You need to be okay being the John where you're doing great things for the Lord. You may not be recognized. That's okay. It's not about you. It's about him. That is your existence in this person's life. So the second facet of um, leadership, I'm going to try to get through these faster. Second facet of leadership we have going on is uh, vocational or pastoral leadership. So when you're in a staff or a part-time, full-time, paid, whatever it looks like position, when you are pastoring people and you are leading people. So they may not know the Lord at all. They may know the Lord perfectly. You are a leader. You've been placed as a leader. Number one, lead from an overflow. Lead from an overflow. If you are not leading from a place of you are being fed by the Lord and you are using what you've been fed in to pour out into others, then you're failing. You need to be leading from an overflow of what Jesus is doing in your life. All the love that he's giving you, you're using that love that's being poured into you to pour out into others. The wisdom he's giving you, you're using the wisdom that's being poured into you to pour into others. We can never be leading from an empty place. If we're not being filled ourselves, if we're not spending time with Jesus ourselves, we can't then try to pour out and lead others because we're leading from a place of emptiness or we're leading from a place of our own strength, both of which are super bad. So always be leading from an overflow. Number two, private devotion leads to public success. The quiet moments the place in the times in your secret place with the Lord, your quiet time, that private devotion to Jesus, the one that no one sees, that's going to lead to your public success. It's like this, you're, you're hidden. You're just with the Lord, like that investment time with him when no one's watching, when no one's praising you, when no one is affirming you and no one is encouraging and exhorting you when it's just you and Jesus and you're being fed, that devotion is, is going to lead to the overflow, like the first part, into public success. Your public success starts in the private moments of the Lord. Number three, just like the last time, like just like the first facet, empower volunteers and empower students. Yes, you are in a paid role. You are the professional Christian. But there are still people with gifting, with calling. And for me, working in ministry, we need our volunteers so much. A lot of them do more than we do. So your job is not to just be like, hey, you're a volunteer, you're a student, stay in your lane. I'm the paid one. I'm the one that needs to be getting the praise. I'm the one that needs to be doing the hard stuff. Like, no, empower them. Encourage them to walk in gifting. Give them opportunity. These are your future pastors. These are your future ministers, your, your future full-time paid staff. So be humble enough and come from a place of humility where you're okay empowering them. Number four, you want to create a congregation of pastors, not consumers. Now, this applies more specifically to the ones that are in pastoral roles. But you never want the people that are coming to your groups, the people that are coming to your sermons, the people that are coming to your youth nights or your young adult nights. You never want to just create consumers, just people that show up once a week, listen to you, are filled by you, and leave. You are trying to create a, pa a congregation of pastors where I could grab any person from the audience and say, hey, go plant a church there. Hey, go lead a group here. And they could do it because they're not just coming to listen to someone else. They're coming to be fed and then go out and pour into others. Like that's that great commission mentality of, I want to spread the word to all the nations. The word isn't spread to all the nations by one pastor speaking to 500 people. And those 500 people just go home, keep it to themselves, come back next week to be fed again. No, it needs to be a cyclical chain reaction. So you're trying to create a congregation of more pastors. Again, that goes to multiplying yourself. You're not trying to sit up there and receive all the glory. You're trying to multiply yourself as much as possible so that other people can then go on and continue your work, hopefully even better than you. 
we're gonna take a little turn here. This is number five, live above reproach. It talks about this in Titus one. It's this idea that as pastors, we are held to a higher calling. It talks about it in James as well. We're held to this higher calling because we're in a position of leadership over others. When you're in a position of leadership over others, you are being looked at, you are being judged. It's just the way it is and perception is everything. So the way that you live above reproach is you don't just you yourself make sure that you're, you know, keeping yourself clean. You have to make sure the way that you look, the way that you appear, the way that you are perceived is also above reproach. Because a lot of people aren't going to go come talk to you personally about things they see. They may just see something and be like, oh, that's this. And then that's their opinion. So you have to go out of your way to honor people. Go out of your way to protect your witness. Go out of your way to make sure that you are upholding the pastoral position you are in with care be careful. Like it's just, there are people that are out to get you. There are people that are out to dishonor you. There are people that are out to put you in positions of compromise. So you have to be living above reproach, living even higher than a normal person would because you are in a position of leadership. People are looking to you at the end of the day, people are looking to you and saying the way he acts must be what it looks like to be Christ-like. We're not going to say if that's right or wrong or not, but that's just the truth. You are held to a high standard, uphold that standard with true honor and integrity. Two more. Second to last one, practice what you preach. Super simple, but it talks about this in John a lot, like Jesus' conversations at Passover, like John 14 through 20-ish, now like 19, when he's talking to the disciples in this last meal and he's giving them all this information, how to be like him, how to love like him, how to care like him. He's saying, practice what you preach. Like if you get up there and you're gonna say something, if you, if you lead someone in a certain way, if you, if you say something in a group or on stage, you have to walk that out. It's kind of like what we talked about first, like, you don't want somebody that is struggling in something to get up there and tell you how to not do it when they're them, themselves are doing it. And we all know this. Like if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to call yourself a Christian, but then you go live a life that's not reflective of Christianity, you are going to put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So practice what you preach. Whatever you are doing, whatever you are saying as a leader, you need to be doing that yourselves. If you're challenging your staff, if you're challenging your groups, if you're challenging your volunteers, saying, hey, like be praying every day, be reading your Bible every day. Dude, like if you're not doing that yourselves, then you can't say that. You're held to a higher standard. You have to lead from a place of overflow. And lastly, before we go into our little break, be able to take correction. In Proverbs 10, 8, Solomon tackles this ideology saying that like a truly wise person, a truly sm- and he's the wisest person probably in the Bible aside from Jesus. This is like the father of wisdom, some call him. He says one of the wisest things you can do is be able to accept a rebuke. Be able to be rebuked, corrected, challenged, called out, told you're wrong. Be able to accept that lovingly and grow from it. Leaders that can't accept they're wrong, leaders that can't be corrected, leaders that can't be held accountable, those are bad leaders. So be able to take correction. So when it comes to being a pastor or a vocational minister in that kind of paid leadership position, you have to make sure that you're leading from an overflow. You're having your private moments with Jesus. You're empowering people. You are turning others into pastors. You are living above reproach. You are practicing what you preach and you are able to be corrected. We're gonna go to a little ad break and we're gonna come back for the last one. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that wonderful ad. But yeah, I wanna dive right back into conversation. So we have talked about the first two facets of leadership. Obviously we had number one being discipleship and mentorship, number two being vocational and pastoral leadership. And now we're gonna get into the third one, probably the one that's most applicable to your life right now, which is romantic or relational leadership. So this looks like 
if you are a guy, how to lead in a relationship, if you are a girl, how to be led in a romantic relationship, or on the other side of things, friendships, how do I lead or be led by a friend, how do I lead a friend group, relationships, how am I led by a parent, how do I uh, lead as a parent, all of those wonderful romantic and relational leadership tips. Number two, uh, number one, this one applies to friendships or to romantic relationships. And it's the common, same old, I have to say it though, 2 Corinthians 6.14, make sure you are equally yoked. Now, when it comes to romantic relationship, do not date or be in a relationship, dating relationship with anyone if you are not equally yoked. Friendships, there's a line you can tow. Romantic relationships, off the table. You have to be equally yoked. What that looks like is, what this applied to is like oxen. When they were leading a cart, they would be two oxen yoked together. And if they were unequally yoked, one was one was forward or one was behind, it, it didn't work. Like they had to be next to each other. So what that looks like is if you are dating someone, you guys need to be running the same race alongside each other. So that if somebody falls, you can pick them back up. Somebody next to them falls, you can pick them back up. But if someone's super far behind, you can't be in a relationship with them because either you have to go back and drag them along or you're so far ahead that like you, you can't catch up. So that's what equally yoked looks like in a romantic relationship. You know, just be wise. When it comes to friendships, it's a little bit different. I would say with your close friendships, with your inner circle, the people that are encouraging you, you're seeing, you're talking to, you're interacting with every day, those need to be equally yoked friendships. Because if you are surrounding yourself with people who aren't sharpening you, if you are surrounding yourself with people who aren't born for adversity, like it talks about in Proverbs, then those are not good friendships. Now, your outer circle, the people that you are friends with, acquaintances with, hang out with occasionally, it's okay if there's some unequally yoked friendships in your life. As long as they're not detrimental to your faith, it is our job to be a light and to be Jesus to the unsaved world. So what it looks like is you, you know, loving on people, caring for people. No one has to be at the exact same place as you with your faith. You know, there's people that you can encourage and that you could pull along with you. There's others that are going to encourage and pull you along. Just make sure you're being wise. Never get to a place where your faith is being attacked or destroyed because of a friendship. But at the same time, don't fall into this Christian isolationism where we only surround ourselves with Christians and we can never witness to the outside world at all. Number two, I kind of already hit on this. Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. In your romantic relationships and your relationships with your friends or even with your family, iron sharpens iron. You need to be constantly sharpening and challenging and pushing the other person towards the Lord. That's what it looks like to lead in a friendship or to be led in a friendship is am I pushing them closer to Jesus? Are they becoming more like Jesus in oneness every day because of my accountability, my love, and my character? Speaking of love, number three, love well. No matter what kind of relationship it is, love well. Like, we look at the character of Jesus. What he did better than anybody else was he just loved people. He didn't, there was no bounds. There was no stipulations. There was no like hesitation. He just, he loved and he loved and he loved and people knew he was Christ because of the way he loves the same way that people will know about Christ because of the way that we are called to love. Number four this is just a minor tip for dating and, and inside this love and honor culture. When it comes to dating, what you were trying to look at and like, I read this in a book. It was, it was excellent. It was excellent. This guy was talking about what he tells his son when it comes to relationships and breakups. He said, I told my son, hey, if you were ever in a breakup with somebody, you should handle it in a way that if you see them five years later and they're now with their husband, you can walk up to him, shake his hand, and he can look at you and say, thank you for the way that you took care of her. Thank you for the way you treated her. Thank you for the way you loved her. And you can have no 
sense of shame or embarrassment because you know you honored her and loved her well. If you're afraid to run into them in public, then you probably didn't honor them well. So when it comes to relationships, make sure that you love them and honor them in a way that no matter what happens, you are continuing this, this said culture of honor. And then obviously 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That is, that is the focal point. That is the focus of leading people relationally and romantically, whatever it is, as a guy or a girl, whether you're leading or being led, everything you do, say, act upon, the way you you know, uphold things, the way you show yourself to others, glorify God with it. If it's not glorifying to God, it is not proper leadership. And then lastly, we need to be in an honor culture. Honor everyone, whether you are leading them or being led by them. Honor, 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 honor. And then also the same correction culture like we talked about in the last one. Be able to be corrected and be able to correct lovingly. Whatever that looks like for you, whichever one it is, correction and honor inside of a culture is detrimental when it comes to leading inside a romantic relationship obviously i'm not going to dive too much into romantic relationship because we have a whole series that talks about this but when it comes to leading i hope that was helpful i hope that was good i pray that this hits and it connects with y'all um and you know i thank you all for listening i thank y'all for being loving and kind and just awesome uh, followers, but more, not really followers, just friends. You know, I appreciate the constant support. Share this with somebody that needs to hear it. I love y'all. Peace out. Uh, thank you for listening to the Jesus Talks podcast. I hope that the Lord spoke to you in a supernatural, unique way, and that your heart was changed. You can find my podcast on Instagram at the Jesus Talks podcast, and you can also find my personal Instagram as well at Joe J Dow. Come give it a follow. Let me know in the direct messages what you thought, what you want to hear more of. And until next time, I love you and Jesus does too.